And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East at Sierra, West at Sierra, Southwest at Sierra, and North Northeast at Sierra. Wind Southwest, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll, Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. I'm breathing at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. Hello and welcome to Eastcast. We are here to bring the arts, the culture and the people of East London to your ears. And for this show, we've teamed up with Dalstonist, covering the audio side of the winter issue of their paper and also website dalstonist.co.uk. My name's Nia Charpentier and I'm here with Pearl Wise and Anna Xavia. Hello. So for today's show, we'll be hearing some of the extraordinary and bizarre world of Victor Wynne's Museum of Curiosities. And we talk to a photographer who's been documenting the people Pulling your points. Well, hello. And as far as music goes, we'll be hearing some new material from Andrea Triana and a little something from Mike Skinner. And we'll be taking a musical tour of Sink the Pink, one of the more outrageous LGBT-friendly nights in East London. I'm looking forward to that. So first up, here's a photographer whose latest project is all about the people pulling pints behind some of East London's best love pubs. And, you know, what a job they do. So you can see some of these portraits in the latest Dolstonist. But here's what the photographer had to say about his work. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jan Kloss. I'm a photographer based in East London. So Jan, we're here at the George Tavern in Whitechapel and we're here because this is one of the settings for your latest series of photographs. Can you tell me a little bit about why we're here? Yes, so um, I'm working on a project now called The Photographic Guide of the Pubs of East London which aims to introduce people to, to the British pub culture. And so why did this particular subject interest you you know believe it or not but it started with tourists so i had basically for for a couple of good months i had like a creative block in london um, and i couldn't figure out you know what's the next step because i've been working before on a series documenting british sporting clubs so i'm quite interested in documenting uh, societies and you know things which kind of fading out and i kept thinking like what could i do interesting about london because you know it's a very tourist-driven city. I started thinking, okay, so all of these people come here, they see these typical landmarks and boring stuff. And the first idea which came to my mind was actually to create the guide for them to see the more interesting things in London. And, and the pubs, the pub culture itself what was something very special, at least I thought it's quite special, uh, to the UK and to London, you know, and you can stamp across, like, historic places, interesting, you know, interior decor and other things. It, it's still supposed to stay a, a photographic guide, but it shifted to the idea of documenting actual people who work there, because that, that's, for, that's what I think is the most important part of the pub, 
the people who serve you and uh, they create some sort of family which I'm trying to, to you know, document and show in this project. You came to London from Poland. Was this something that you, you kind of noticed that was very different to where you came from, the kind of the, the pub culture? Yes, so I couldn't really explain it exactly what it was. Maybe it was Decker, maybe it was, you know, carpets on the floors, I, I don't know. But it was totally different to what we have, for example, in Poland or in general in, in Eastern Europe. What sort of people did you come across when you were interviewing and photographing the staff at some of these East London pubs? OK, so it's important to say that, first of all, I was, I was aiming to uh, work with more private place well not private places but not chains of the pubs so so i was working with places which were owned by uh, not big companies so people who are working there you could you could tell and you can tell here in a george tavern that but it's simply very happy it's a completely different vibe to what you get in the chains and uh, people i stamped across where you know most of them had actually day day jobs uh, some of them worked for a uh, quite big fashion designers I was I was surprised to learn that you know people work five six days a week in their day job plus they do an evening job in a pub just because they like it so how many pubs feature in the series and are they all places that you that you go and hang out and drink or how did you choose them at the moment I have uh, 15 pubs featured and I'm aiming for about 30 to 40 so if anyone involved in the pub work listening to this show please contact me because I'm very interested to hear from you and yeah to, to answer other part of the question yeah I, I went most of the places I photographed so far I knew them just you know by going to them and I really liked them so there wasn't any magic behind it really but now I'm kind of starting doing more and more research outside the you know areas of East London which I don't know because I want to cover it quite evenly so I want every um, you know district to have their kind of representation I want to have this sort of surprise factor for people who are going to open the book and what they find is actually a guide to these personalities in a way who work in those pubs That was Jan Kloss there. And don't forget, you can take a look at Jan's pub portraits in the latest edition of Dalstonist. And that's free and you can pick up a copy uh, in most bars and cafes and venues across East London. So Anna, what's next? Well, now get ready for an audio tour of a museum that has been the talk of the town by the man himself. Victor Wind reveals the Museum of Curiosities. Something different? Something different? What can we do different? Okay. All right. Welcome to the Victor Wind Museum of Curiosities, Fine Art and Natural History. On the ground floor, you come past our cocktail bar and, and mini kitchen, um, and then we have the, the upper galleries, which will have two exhibitions a year. The opening exhibition is English, well, it's called Surreal England, and it's sort of around the idea of the surrealists um, in England. And we have Pale Forb and Mednikoff, who Andre Breton called the only English people to really understand uh, surrealism, who 
have been very little, almost sort of disappeared in the 1940s and without trace, and they haven't been exhibited or seen anywhere for, for, for a very long time. The back room, which we call the spare room, because it's dedicated to the work of Austin Osmond Spare, the sort of the early 20th century occultist and um, associate at some time of Alistair Crowley. We also have Napoleon's death mask in the corner, a selection of African masks I brought back from the Congo, a wallaby skeleton with a feast of fairies, a fairies created by a special piece curated by Tessa Farmer for the Museum of uh, Fairies having a little tea party. So now we descend the golden circular staircase into the, the Wunder cabinet. Designed to be a sort of a reinterpretation of the 16th century cabinets of wonder, sort of the precursors to museums before people started wanting to classify things and people just wanted to get a lot of wonderful things and put them in one place and muddle them up and just enjoy them. So we we start with a with a sort of mini selection around the theme of dandyism, some watercolours and doodles and sketches by the the, the great aesthete and uh, bright young. Th- person, Stephen Tennant, um, photographs of the interiors of his house, Willsford. But of course the, the crowning glory of the dandyism corner uh, is the Sebastian Horsley's red sequin suit, the nails from his crucifixion, and a bunch of other sort of um, relics of his. Then we have a, a sort of classic sort of cabinet of natural wonders of Everything from models of toadstools to intestinal worms and jars, bird skeletons, nice books such as Warfare in the Enemy's Rear, I Was Hitler's Maid, and of course that classic guide to understanding men. If you want closure in your relationship, start with your legs. This jar is something that somebody posted to me, and on the came with a letter which says, Dear Mr Wind, next week you will get a special delivery parcel from me. Not a normal parcel, as it will contain piss, though this will be normal for you. But the piss is not normal. It is Russell Crowe's piss. I want you to display it in your museum. I got very drunk with him at Claridge's last week and told him about your collection, and he wanted to send you... Uh, please turn over... Feathers from Extinct Birds, uh, a dust sculpture by Paul Hazelton, miniature unicorns, dodo bones, dead spiders. Here we have, the, this is called the Devil's Table, um, which is a long, thin dining table with a pentagram and occult symbols carved into it, and it is surrounded by chairs with horns coming off them, and it's available for dinner parties and for intimate moments. Uh, it's a piece commissioned for the museum from Shazad Dawood. These are um, drawings by the sort of outsider and visionary artist Madge Gill. The world's largest crab, a Japanese spider crab, surrounded by a flock of bird skeletons, a couple of large seeds that look like bottoms. Uh, this is a, a piece made by Stephen Wright, who has the House of Dreams Museum in Dulwich. It's almost impossible to describe, but it's sort of wonderful. There's a, a large embroidered piece, and in front of it there are sort of three 
sort of full-size, I want to call them figures, but I don't know, they are figures, they're sort of apparitions, hanging by the sort of miniature museum of momentum, things like a handbag with my mum sat with her legs open showing her panties, or a pair of shoes on which has been written, you stare at me, I stare at you, I feel ugly. Another pair of shoes, put your shoes on, oh shut up. I think it's wonderful. We have here a very funny mummified dancing rat. Collection of silly books, rats for those who care. Enid Blyton's gay storybook, Joyful Lays by the Reverend R. Lowry, The Naughty Nun, Mrs. Thompson's Water Domination, Sex Instruction for Irish Farmers, The Art of Faking Exhibition, Poultry, Group Sex, A How-To Guide, chicks and older studs and a membership card from the communist party in the soviet union oh this is where we get exciting we had a casket containing some of the original darkness that moses called down upon earth we have some blood that i squeezed from stone and we had a large collection of um insects and invertebrates that i brought back from new guinea last year we also have um a hand axe that's used for cutting off joints off women's fingers after male members of their families die we have a, an egg from an extinct elephant bird, collection of penis bones from fox right the way up to walrus, the skull of the extinct aurochs, ancestor of um, modern cattle. We have the, the skull of a convicted felon who was executed in the 19th century for robbing a church and a school. Uh, we have an incredible early 16th century engraving, La Stragazzo by Agostino Veneziano, with a witch riding on the back of a corpse gathering babies for her dinner a cabinet containing every single english species of butterfly collected by me as a child oh and here we have um two 19th century preserved front bottoms of prostitutes which were dissected by a glaswegian anatomist called dr archibald mccandless next to them we also we have some dead babies from the dresden anatomical museum an early piece by the English pop artist Peter Blake, a picture of a fat boy from a circus freak show. Uh, here we have um, Hendrik Goltzius's The Adoration of the Magi from 1593. Up here we have a collection of uh, monkey skeletons, and also we have some um, celebrity poo. We've got Amy Winehouse's poo, and actually this is one of the, the more interactive pieces in the museum. If you pay us £5, we'll let you smell it. Down here, we just actually received them from the International Atomic Energy Agency, are some seashells, a scallop and a clam, which were recently recovered from Fukushima, which show the sort of extraordinary extent of radioactive damage on nature. The scallop shell is strangely misformed with strange bubbles, and the clam seems to have just reproduced and reproduced endlessly inside itself. They're sort of quite horrifying. And right next to that, you have a, a pair of underpants that I wore to host one of my Halloween parties, and it's still covered in my red paint. Over here, we have the lion's chamber, which is sort of sectioned off, and it's a, um, a sort of private dining room or meeting room or place, really, where we hire to have assignations, because at the centre of it, we have a sarcophagus in which we have the skeleton of an early 19th century lady, overlooked by a lion skeleton in a cage. Above it we have a preserved mermaid and all around it we have some sort of large collection of erotica from 19th century uh, Japanese shunga, sort of Indian 
Chinese paintings, we've got sort of Hans Belmer, German prints. And in the cabinet, right next to Let's Play Nurse and Doctor, are two rather lovely and rather sweet Furbies. I've just written a book which is called Victor Wynne's Cabinet of Wonders. It's a manifesto for a better world, a huge sort of colourful lavishly illustrated, not by me, but incredible photos by Oscar Proctor and drawings by the Theatre of Dolls, a tome which is really saying, let's fed up with the world as it is. I don't like Ikea, I don't like minimalism. I want lots and lots of stuff and clutter and beautiful things and ugly things and everything all mixed up all together. So we, we start off by looking at my house as we sort of try to make a path to get in through the front door and we look at the in the museum and we also go and look at sort of museums that I loved as a child like the Pitt Rivers Museum and it, it's a fantastic collection of shrunken heads and dead bits of people and collection of toys and spoons and all sorts of cornucopia of wonder and Snow's Hill Manor. And then we also we look at houses and studios of friends and collectors who I admire and sort of have worked with. On Mondays and Tuesdays we have a busy lecture programme with talks on taxidermy, talks on literature, talks on fashion, talks on art, um, seances, taxidermy workshops... Uh, butterfly workshops, we have a regular cocktail masterclass. Well, we open Wednesday to Sunday until 10 o'clock in the evening and we have a, an extensive cocktail range because I, I do think that everything does look much, much better once you've had a few drinks. If you got really curious about this museum, head to dolsonist.co.uk to see the pictures of the Museum of Curiosities. They are well worth a look. There's some pretty <laughs> freaky stuff in there. Dark. East London has become quite a hub for the LGBT community um, with a whole array of nights for all tastes. And we take a musical tour, quite a cheesy one, I have to say, through the monthly Sink the Pink event with one of the co-organisers, Amy Redmond. <laughs> My name is Amy Redmond, but I suppose I kind of have a drag name as well because I run a kind of drag, tranny, wonderful gay club called Sink the Pink, um, and I'm called Amy Zing, a bit like amazing, um, in, in that context. And I run it with Glynfamous, a.k.a. Glyn Fossil, is what his mother called him. Um, and he's my best gay friend, and I'm his fag hag. And um, we, we decided to start a club because we didn't find anywhere that felt like a space that we both belonged in. I know I may be young, but I've got feelings too, and I need to do what I feel like doing, so let me go and just listen. You would know in advance that you're coming to a Sink the Pink party because it's, it's at the Working Men's Club, which doesn't have much footfall. If you happen to be on Pollard Row in Bethel Green, you're there for a reason. So you will be in a wedding dress or whatever. Or, no, or not, you don't have to come in costume, but most people do. So let's say that it is the wedding-themed party. So you're waiting in the queue in your wedding dress. You get to the front door and you're greeted by Jordan, who's our wonderful door bitch, who, who is always in some ridiculous face. He paints his face blue and kind of greets you in the most fabulous way. So then you enter the club and then you're usually greeted by Stephanie, who's the tranny barmaid who's been at the Working Men's Club for about 50 years. I don't know if you know her, but she walks around with a stick beating people and obviously not too painful, you'd hope. Um, but, you know, she's just a part of the, the furniture at the Working Men's Club. And, and then you enter the room and there'll be a stage full of fabulous costumed drag queens, which you are welcome to join as well. It's not just 
it's not just about you know performers on the stage. The whole experience is that, that we're all in it together. And then, yeah, you'll, you'll definitely hear Whitney Houston, I Wanna Dance With Somebody. You'll definitely hear Spice Girls say you'll be there or other Spice Girl tracks. It's really shameful. It's the bad music that you, you, know, you realise you know every word to. Um, I suppose we're kids of the 90s, so it will span like 80s and 90s music and some modern pop music, but I think there's something really nostalgic about you know, dancing to do the Bartman with your friends. <laughs> um, and then you look to your left, and you see Glitter My Shitter, which is our make-up or make-under stand, um, where you can get yourself made up by a couple of hairy, bearded, glittered drag queens who um, they may not even ask you what you want, you may just get covered in face paint, and that will be your look. Or, you know, you could, you could try and steer them, but they usually do whatever they want, which works a treat, you just have to trust them. Uh, and that's the main room, and then downstairs we have our disco room, which is a really fabulous sort of musical experience. So we try and kind of extend the genres into the three different rooms, and then we usually get different guest DJs from our scene in the other rooms. Um, and the downstairs room is actually where the old boys drink, so you get that really nice energy of the actual local working men's old boys and girls drinking down there. And the, um, the, there's our friend actually made a video about Connie, who's one of the old girls there, and she just loves it, I think. to London about 10 years ago and we, we felt like going to GAY or going to a straight, in inverted commas, pub or club didn't suit who we were. It felt like Soho was really backwards and it felt like everything in East London was happening but it maybe didn't have a sort of LGBT arm to it. It didn't feel welcoming but we didn't also, we didn't want it to feel labelled. I suppose we were lost in that sort of label-less longing time which just maybe was economically where the country was as well it was going into recession and we wanted a party that felt like a house party but also felt like a really welcoming space where you could just hear songs that you just put on your youtube around somebody's house and it didn't feel pretentious and we just, basically wrote a list of our dream night out and we, and we went about making it happen so we found interesting spaces that weren't gay in inverted commas spaces they were just interesting so they were like art galleries and railway arches or funny old working men's clubs which is where we ended up now we're in the Bethnal Green Working Men's Club um, and we've been there for six years and always has a different theme so people really enjoy that experience of having the theme around the party and and although I mentioned it being run by a gay boy and his best friend um, it is for everybody you know I think there's a really nice bonding that happens when people are in ridiculous costumes and are really free and feeling really themselves Everybody picks up on that energy and it's reflected back in them and they want to feel completely themselves too. I don't really care about cool and inverted commas DJs. You know, I don't... I really am have quite shameful music taste and basically play a wedding set, you know. So there was that arm of it and then there was the really G-A-Y hairdressers who are quite aware of themselves and looking at each other and judging each other a bit. And, you know, Glyn is definitely not that, that type of gay man. And then I, as a young, like, single straight girl, really didn't like going into clubs where men were also sort of sexual and grindy and sort of staring at you and really, like... 
you know, objectified because I didn't feel like I could be myself at all because I, you know, I didn't feel relaxed and well and welcome in it in sort of any space that I discovered in London. And I was like, why? We both sat there one day after a terrible night out and said, why isn't there anywhere that feels like the kind of house parties that we were putting on, which is where all our mates would come around, we'd get in silly costumes, you know, get a, a little bit loose and, and just dance to silly music. And we, we, went, we set about making that thing happen. Other people are also putting on wonderful similar parties. You know, Johnny Woo and, and Gay Bingo were a huge influence to us and were very welcoming and supportive. You know, Johnny has always performed at our parties and likewise, I'm so honoured to be involved in anything Johnny Woo does because he's like the pioneer of the East London drag scene and for him to even love and be a part of Sink the Pink is, is always still such an honour to me because he taught us, you know, the way of putting on beautiful, welcoming and accepting parties and it's all about community, you know, so that, that I learned a lot from our elders and a lot of the younger parties, like one of our young drag queens, Oozing Gloop, does a thing called Yeast London Cabaret and then it's, he's, he's a politics student so it's a lot more scholarly but you know it's always so very wacky and, and, and crazy trannies and ridiculous costumes but he'll do you know long wonderful spoken word pieces that just take you on these incredible journeys whereas the Sink the Pink shows are always a bit more just ridiculous Strike the pose. I suppose a lot of our influence for Sink the Pink came from going to festival or secret garden party and and loving that feeling on the third day of a festival where your friend is like a sexy chef or, you know, you're, you're kind of in like three days worth of costume and you all end up sort of slightly dishevelled and, and just actually, I want to be a weird bunny rabbit hybrid spaceman for the rest of my life. And so you bring elements of your fancy dress into your day wardrobe that you don't want to lose. And then, you know, you, the more you feel comfortable around a group of friends, you realise... This is way more fun when you know when we're all wearing stupid things. So, and then maybe our parties start to reflect that. And certainly, like I know, Secret Garden not all like Burning Man types, and we're all we're all you know from the best of all kind of legacy where we just love a theme. All of our friends love to dress up to a theme. So, I suppose we we know we're providing something that we know our audience, our friends want to do. And then equally, yeah, I suppose you're spurred on by other people having those kinds of parties. Do you know what? It feels like you're just a big kid. I think a lot of us moved to East London because we didn't want to grow up. And it's like, we're the creatives and we really want to find a space to keep creating. So, I mean, unfortunately, it's pushing us all out because it's so expensive to live here now. This is how we do next. Hard to squeeze the boys so fine. There we are, our prime. 2020 Thunderbird 1209. Took a pill, good time all the time. <laughs> Pink, top five. I'm putting you on the, on okay. the spot. Okay. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, so probably it will probably be Azealia Banks 212 because every drag queen just loses their shit for that one. I was in a 212 on the uptown. You know what's up or don't you? When he's come and dance with somebody because he, everybody wants to dance with somebody. <laughs> um, we, we, go, we dig right back to the old school, like... I think I played Roxette Get Dressed for Success the other day and I realised how much everyone went mad for it. Every Madonna song, you have to hear like, something really awful like Girls Allowed the Show because there's something like an every gay man that just becomes Nicola Roberts. And so hear that song. And fact, in every fag hack as well. I think it's our shared identity is just being obsessed with really awful girl bands. Nobody sees the show, that's how my heart says so. 
lot of older disco as well, like there's this celestial choir stand on the word of God song that for some reason just goes down so well and it's so ridiculous because it's like, it should be, you know, it's a quite a religious sounding song. So to play it in like a really crazy, tranny, chaotic club, it just seems to work. <laughs> so yeah, some, some really nice old disco mixed in with ridiculous wedding music and then like the worst in the last 10 years pop for some reason works. <laughs> Pink are very happy to be involved in Winterville, which is East London's equivalent of the Hyde Park Winter Wonderland thing that happens. So it's sort of more of an East London version. We are taking over on the 21st of December and we've got Figs in Wigs, Bourgeois Maurice, our DJ Joshua, 10 of our favourite Sink the Pink tranny queen goddesses and we're going to be taken to the ice because we're presenting trannies on ice which is a recipe for total nightmare and disaster but I think also it will be utterly hilarious so we have actually had some of the trannies going to ice skating rehearsal practice with a professional and I've got two professional ice skater dancers um, and we'll all be in the most fabulous and awful ridiculous outfits you can imagine so I think there'll be quite a lot to see and also people who come can get involved and get on the ice as well spandex sequin nightmare <laughs> but joyful nightmare <laughs> In this show, you can hear some of the voices behind the words featured in the winter edition of Dalstonist. As Amy from Sink the Pink said, they'll be at Winterville on the 21st of December and a load of trannies on ice sounds absolutely spectacular. <laughs> what and could be more Christmassy? Yeah, it just sounds like a disaster waiting to happen, <laughs> but I'm sure it'll be fun. Thanks, Pearl. So East London-based comedian Josie Long has moved away from her more political shows recently to something a little bit more personal. And she's got a new show at the Soho Theatre in January, so coming up soon. You can read the full interview with Josie in The Dalstonist, but here's an extract of Josie's somewhat traumatic time living right here in Dalston. I found myself going from all that security of being somewhere I loved and knowing I was right about everything to feeling completely alone and isolated and living on my own in a flat in Dalston. And I should never have lived in Dalston. Dalston is a very fashionable part of East London. I'm not a fashionable person. I only have one look. Well, my look is called Norwegian Boy. (laughs) I like the fact that I'm wearing a dress and you still laugh at me. And I was living in a warehouse conversion along the lines of, hey guys, we've converted a warehouse, you should totally come, it's so safe, it's so safe, oh safe man, convert a warehouse. Cool, cool. Um, how did you do it, what materials did you use? Cardboard? (laughs) How's that for noise transfer? Oh it's great, you can hear everyone, all night long, it's so cold. I was in a warehouse conversion and I was surrounded by all these people who worked in fashion PR. 
Yeah, like they'd seen the fashion industry and gone, mm, I love it, but there's just too much of a heart and soul in it for me. <laughs> I am so relieved that you're not all fashion PRs. And then I could hear them through the walls. And I know it's stupid to judge people, but it felt like they were braying things like, We've stolen your children's health care. We're all on ketamine and you're too frightened to try it. I found myself getting more and more awkward and frightened and alone. And I was freaking out about it. And I had friends, but I wouldn't talk to them about it. And I had family, but they've all moved to Tenerife which leads me to suspect that they are sex criminals on the run. (laughs) Seriously, why else would you live there? There's not even a natural beach. I have another piece of evidence. They were also alive in the 1970s. Sorry, I'm so creeped up by all of that. I feel like, I used to think that the UK was a fairly uncorrupt country, and now I feel like, we are worse than Jersey. (laughs) We are only marginally better than the Isle of Man. And that is because, one, Jeremy Clarkson lives there, and two, in, in the Isle of Man, it was illegal to be gay until 1996. I just wanted to say it because it's so fucked up. What the fuck, Isle of Man? Your name is Isle of Man. Which is why everyone on the Isle of Wight is so horrendously racist. <laughs> My life got smaller and smaller and I found myself more and more angry and insecure and upset and I started dressing as unflatteringly as possible in the hope that when the fashion people saw me, it would make me feel physically sick. (laughs) Along the lines of, is that a coat or a duvet? (laughs) Come along, Maurice, we're leaving. (laughs) Maurice is a dachshund and not a tiny man who needs to be carried Oh, I feel for Josie. Some of those um, anecdotes sound very familiar to me, although um, I do not go for the Norwegian boy look, but hey. For some music, it's been five years since her debut album, Lost Where I Belong, on the Ninja Tunes label. Stoke Newington resident, singer-songwriter Andrea Triana is due to release her second album in the spring. Here's a sneak preview of the musical direction she's heading towards. You're playing naive, your tears are on your sleeve, but you hide out in your room till three. You give me the speech, how you gotta stand up and be strong, take the punches through the heat. No, you don't fool me, you're no armor made of one, no ranger on the run from defeat. Oh, brother, A million. 
in your head You drop the disguise Why do you feel the need to hide? Why can't you just be happy instead? You just heard Andrea Triana with Superlove. Next up, from Parks to Poodles, Wilfred Wood explores the many facets of canines. I'm Wilfred Wood and I've got a show on at Beach London at the moment until the 31st of January. And the show's on dogs. Why dogs? Well, the last show I had was a sort of semi-retrospective of all sorts of different stuff I'd done. And I think it turned into a bit of a jumble sale, really. And nobody quite knew why I'd grouped this work together and what I was aiming at. And I just thought I'd have something really simple. And what could be simpler than dogs? A simple subject that other people understand and that I can stick to. And also something that's got enough flexibility in it to allow me to include people or dogs in clothes or disabled dogs or good-looking dogs, silly dogs, all sorts. There's a huge variety in the subject. If you could mention just one of them and try to describe them yeah. somehow. Well, there's a row of about six. There's one that is an emo, like a sort of modern goth. Yeah. Probably they'd be very offended if they were to be described as modern goths. I'm not quite sure what they are exactly, but <laughs> there are lots of them on the internet. Uh, they, there's quite a lot of very skinny boys who tend, look like they stay in their bedroom too long. So they're very pale. And I thought it was funny to do a sort of strangely elegant looking emo boy holding a scrunched up fat pug. 
So it was more of a case of the, the owner not looking like the dog, but also he's holding up the dog to the camera and doing a selfie. It's just a sort of slightly unlikely combination of characters, really, creating a little scene which the viewer will bring uh, perhaps a little bit of a narrative to. I'm going to ask a very, what might be a very obvious question, I don't know, well, let's see. Why dogs? Is, is it because you're a dog lover? Yes, I am a dog lover and I haven't got a dog. I quite often think if I got a dog, I wouldn't have done this show because it would have kind of exorcised this fascination. I think that dogs are probably the, the kind of second most characterful animal, really, after human beings, to human beings. I could do... Cats would be great, and there are some very funny cats on the internet, but dogs, in terms of variety, you just can't beat them. And they're very emotional, dogs themselves, so you can convey quite a lot of character by their actual expression. And what I've tended to do is slightly anthropomorphize the dogs so they are a little bit more human-looking than they are in, in reality, but not much. I didn't want it to make it too cartoony. One of the things that I'm amazed about is that, is that there's such a huge variety of shapes have come from basically from wolves... I mean, to think that a chihuahua's come from a wolf is unbelievable. No, I don't think there's any other animal, that certainly that humans have bred, that they've managed to make them so ridiculous, or a pug from a wolf. But that's what's happened. It's hard to believe. That big dog's head that is by the corner, can you talk a bit about like, the material you use? And... Yeah, <clears throat> that big dog head by the corner is called Faraporset. And so, do you know who Farrah Fawcett was? Wasn't it an actress? I'm, yes, it was. It was an actress in the 70s. I think she was one of Charlie's Angels, who had enormous bouffant hair. And it's the only pun I've allowed myself in the show to call her Farrah Fawcett, uh, which is, you know, either funny or not, depending if you like puns. But she seems to be quite popular. She's really an Afghan hound with a kind of wig on but she's made of stuff called sculptor mould, which is a mixture of plaster and uh, paper pulp. What, with something like that, I, may, I get, make a wooden armature and then wrap newspaper all around it and then slap on this mush, which is like kind of porridge, sculpt it, and then it starts to set. So then I put on a bit of more definition of the whole character I'm trying to make. And then it, I just leave it for, say, you know, a week or something to dry out. It takes quite a long time. Or I put it in the oven to speed it up and then paint it. One funny thing that happened to me, or I, it's not that funny. It was basically quite disappointing. But in the show, I've made a sculpture of Morrissey as a terrier. I'm a massive fan of the Smiths, but these days, bloody hell, I mean, Morrissey really pushes everybody's cross buttons, but does it brilliantly funnily as well but he is getting quite tetchy to say the least so I thought I'd do a Morrissey Terrier and I did this thing photographed it and then thought right what can I do with it as I always do you know who can I send this to somebody might like it or want to buy it or be amused by it I typed in something like who's a fan of Morrissey into Google and you get all these people you know well-known people and one of them 
was the singer of Limp Biscuit. Right, I don't know who Limp Biscuit are, but I know the name. It's some sort of awful middle of the roadish American rock, I think. Probably terrible. I tweeted it to him, uh, Morrissey, and um, to my absolute delight and astonishment, he retweeted it to one and a half million people. And I just thought, this is it. I've made it. This is this is stardom from now on, just from that one tweet. And then I got about 20 retweets and about 30 favourites and then silence. And basically it was just that that was the beginning of particularly my lesson of, of the Internet. And now, but now I see that that really doesn't mean anything. Something can just people can glimpse it for a second and then forget it because everybody's shouting and so few people are listening. Why should they? Everyone, you know, everyone's got something to say. I think it's one of the problems with the internet as well is that so much visual material is available to everybody so quickly and easily. It's terribly difficult to switch that off and slightly look inwards and try and retain your own voice because there's so many influences around. But I'd like to move on and you know find other areas because i think it's quite easy to get a bit comfortable in east london there's loads of galleries there's loads of artists so it's not that difficult to get a show of some sort and then you get loads of mates and other artists looking at your work but what you really want is people who work in the city who've got a bit of money they're going to buy some of the bloody things there's an awful phrase that always goes through my head that an old tutor of mine said which was a work of art is only a work of art once it's sold up until that point it's a storage problem which is horrible but it's true it's got some truth in it because i've got too much work sitting around at home you know and i want to shift it one way or another so i think you know that's the next goal really is to find my audience more clearly There will be more information about this exhibition and great photos of Wilfred's work on our website, eastcastro.com. So this is where we say goodbye. Just before we go, let's leave you with a little something from the streets man, Mike Skinner, who's been in East London a lot recently for his monthly club night, Tonga, at the Victoria. You can read more about that and his love of balloons in the Dolceness, but here's a taste of what he's been up to musically these days. But just before we leave, there's just enough time to say that we've been Eastcast and you can find more about our discoveries and details of all the interviews and music at eastcastshow.com. And of course, you can pick a paper copy of The Dalstonist in most cafes, bars and shops in and around Dalston and online at thedalstonist.co.uk. Thanks for listening.
Supervise, right? It's got to get hyper. Dump, 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 dump